So today we're commemorating the Tirubhav or the disappearance of the Divine Grace Omishnapad Bhakti Pamud Puri Goswami Maharaj. And I think that to speak about his Tirubhav or disappearance, we can say a few words about his appearance as well, in as much as in a Nagodia school of thought, there's not a lot of difference between the two. Disappearing in one place, appearing in another, like the sun setting in the west for us, disappearing in the east for others in another part of the globe. So with the passing of the Vaishnav, from our midst, other fortunate souls are able to take advantage of his or her good company. And with regard to the disappearance of a great saint, then our address in glorifying that sadhu is changed in as much as we say Nitilila Prabhishto Mishnupad and so on. Nitilila Prabhishto Mishnupad Paramhamsa Bhakti Maharaj Ki Jai. So disappearing from our midst and appearing in the midst of others. And in this case, as is the case with all great sadhus in our line, the midst amongst whom they are appearing are the Lord's own eternal associates, that gracious Swarup Shakti. Sometimes it is said that uh, in Bengal, there's a saying, mother calls her blind son Padmalochan. Padmalochan means lotus eyes. So there's a kind of blindness that love is about. And by the, in effect, the blindness of the Lord and his Swarup Shakti, his eternal associates, we can have entrance into their midst, into their company, overlooking whatever defects may be there in us. Of course, we don't think that Bhakti Pramod Puri Goswami Maharaj or any of our great acharyas have any defects, but they like to think of themselves like this, no doubt. So at any rate, from within our midst to enter the Nitilila of the Lord, Nitilila Prabhishto Mishnupad. One guru, in the language of Mishnupad Bhakti Rakshakshidhar Maharaj, entering the land of gurus, where he belongs. Doesn't really belong in our midst, but gracefully comes amongst us to share his good company and make us whole by that association. Puri Goswami Maharaj had a rare birth in this world in a family of, I think we can say Vaishnava family. He was worshipping the deity from early in his childhood. And Krishna said this kind of birth, Dulabhattaram, Etadi Dulabhattaram, Kule Bhavati Dimata. Very, very rare take birth in a Vaishnava family. And, of course, Bhakti Pramod Puri Goswami Maharaj took full advantage of that. He was given the name Pramod Bhushana Chakravarti. I think Prabhupada Bhakti Sarantrasati Thakur saw some need to change that name in light of its general, what it generally brings to mind. Pramod Bhushana means like to delight in ornamentation. I believe that uh, he had a delight for music from his childhood, so on account of this, the name was given. Pramod 
Bhushan Chakravarti. Chakravarti, of course, means the emperor of the world, the family name. So emperor of the world, another way to look at it would be, we can think of it like this tonight, who the emperor of the world delights in the uh, ornamentation of, who ornaments uh, the, uh, the lord of the world and brings to light in this way. And his name then that was given by Bhaktisiddhanta Saraswati Thakur Prabhupada at the time of his initiation, as I say, was an apparent change. He was trying to give some more spiritual light to the name at birth as well. Who does the Lord of the world delight in? Who ornaments him? Who ornaments the Lord of the world and brings the light to him? That is um, his primal shakti. And when Prabhupada gave him the name Pranavananda, Pranavananda has an overt, of course, spiritual meaning. So the overt material meaning of the name at birth was changed to an overtly spiritual name. But they both have some connection if we look at it another way. Pranavam, of course, means omkar, the sacred syllable om that represents the Lord, the sound of God, and pranava, ananda. So the joy of pranava, the joy of the Supreme Lord, what gives ananda to the Lord. This was his name. So it is like the joy aspect of omkar. Om, Jiva Goswami has given a nice verse. A kare nuchate Krishna, u kare nuchate Radha. The A, Om is A, U, Ma. Three letters, A, U, M in English. So, Jiva Goswami has explained, A kara means Krishna, and U kara means Radha. Makara is the Jiva. So, all present in Omkar. The Lord is primary Shakti and all Jivas who by her grace come into that company. And she is the Ananda, the joy of the Lord. Pranamananda Das. He was given this name by Bhaktisiddhanta Saraswati Thakur, whom he met early in his life, maybe about 1917. Prabhupada had begun his mission in perhaps more of an informal way, initiating disciples as early as 1905. During the manifest presence of Thakur Bhakti Vinod and Gorkishwar Das Babaji Maharaj, his two gurus, generally it's considered to be a violation of etiquette if the disciple accepts disciples while his guru is still present. But if they insist upon that, that is another thing. So, <laughs> there are some foolish people, as a side note, that try to make some controversy about the connection of Bhaktisiddhanta Saraswati Thakur with Bhakti Vinod and with Gorkashor Das Babaji Maharaj. But these kind of uh, arguments, they came much after the time of the manifest presence of Bhaktisiddhanta Saraswati Thakur. There was no room for them to manifest during his presence, especially when he had the full blessing of Thakur Bhakti Vinod to preach from Yoga Pit in Mayapur and Babaji Maharaj Shilagor Das once predicted, you may know, that one of the disciples of Bhakti Vinod Thakur, whom he directed to the Thakur, said, you should take initiation from Bhakti Vinod. From Yogupit, they went to the place of Thakur Bhakti Vinod's bhajan. Bhakti Vinod gave initiation to this one sincere soul. And at that time, Gorkishor Das Babaji Maharaj made the prediction, in the future, your life will become successful by taking Tridandi Sanyas, 
from a sadguru. And at that time he would go outside of India and preach Nam Dharma. So that came to pass, that disciple of Bhaktivinoda Thakur was the first to take sannyas from Bhaktisiddhanta Saraswati Thakur after the disappearance of Gorkishodas Babaji Maharaj and Bhaktivinoda Thakur. So implicit in this prediction of Gorkishodas Babaji Maharaj is that Bhaktisiddhanta Saraswati Thakur is a sadguru. And no one, in a more charming, in my experience, and compelling way, has brought that out more than Puri Goswami Maharaj. Of course, my own Diksha Guru, Shilesi Bhaktivedanta Sami Prabhupada, had a deep connection with Bhaktisanta Saraswati Thakur, and he considered that all of his success, if he was ever asked about it, his standard remark was that all this is due to the fact that I strictly followed the orders of my spiritual master. I have no credit otherwise for this wonderful thing that has happened, the Hare Krishna movement. And if you look at that um, order of Bhaktisiddhanta Saraswati Thakur carefully, you'll find that it really was just a suggestion. Prabhupada, my Guru Maharaj, had written to his Gurudev, Bhaktisiddhanta Saraswati Thakur Prabhupada, about two weeks before his passing from the world, asking for some seva. He said that I am living as a Grihasta, and therefore I'm outside of the direct mission. Not like your sannyasi and brahmachari disciples, I have other obligations that I'm tending to, but if you could give me some seva, uh, it would be good for me. So Saraswati Thakur wrote him in a letter, and he made a suggestion, it would be good if you preach in English. And uh, our Guru Maharaj took that suggestion like his life and soul. Like Vyavasayatnika Buddhi. He fixed his mind on this, his intelligence on this. Suggestion. He took it like an order. And he was successful in so many ways. He made the person of Bhaktisiddhanta Saraswati Thakur known all over the world. In so many temples and so many houses, so many buses and so many vans. The picture of Bhaktisiddhanta Saraswati Thakur was carried and, and worshipped, still is today. So he had deep connection with Bhaktisiddhanta Saraswati Thakur. At the same time, he didn't have much personal association. He told us that collectively, he maybe had about two weeks, a day here, a few hours there, during the mission of Bhaktisiddhanta Saraswati Thakur to personally associate with him. And he took advantage of every moment. Good example for us. My beloved, revered Shiksha Guru, Om Vishnupad, Srila Bhakti Rakshak, Srila Dev Goswami Maharaj, on the other hand, was a sannyasi, disciple of Bhakti Siddhanta Saraswati Thakur, who took sannyas from him personally. He joined the mission, and so he was more closely connected with the ongoing affairs of conducting the mission. He became a stalwart preacher. And when I had the good fortune, through the directive of my Diksha Guru, Srila Prabhupada, who told me, about a month before his passing, that if you want, I was at the time massaging his feet in his room. I was, of course, not the only one there, but maybe the only one that listened, <laughs> now that I think of it, or one of the few. <laughs> he said, <laughs> actually, the question was asked, after you leave, then is there anyone we can take advice from? He said, for philosophy, my godbrother, Biyarashira Marj of Navadweep. So it, it went in. And uh, by the grace of actually some of my godbrothers who had gone there and taken advantage of his company, 
and started to resonate with the uh, harmony that uh, he so personified and speak about his precepts. That uh, instruction that went into my heart came to the top, to the surface, and I acted upon it and took his good company. And in that company, we heard so many wonderful things about Bhakti Siddhanta Saraswati Thakur due to the fact that, as I say, Sridhar Maharaj had more personal contact with Bhakti Siddhanta Saraswati Thakur than my Prabhupada. So it was charming. And to hear him speak about something and having heard that same story or that same analogy from my Gurudev, Prabhupada, we could tell well, it's two leaves coming from the same tree, Bhakti Siddhanta Saraswati Thakur, and feel their affection for him. But Srila Purigasami actually joined the mission of Bhakti Siddhanta Saraswati Thakur before Bhaktivedanta Swami Prabhupada and before Bhakti Rakshakshiradeva Goswami Maharaj. And he had a very close and intimate relationship with Srila Bhakti Siddhanta Saraswati Thakur. When I heard him speak about how they would sleep on the same floor with their Guru Maharaj and the sense within Puri Goswami Maharaj of the overwhelming kindness, tenderness of that Singha Guru as he was called, Lion Guru, roaring in the jungle of religious confusion and misconception that was all about the world over in India, in Hinduism, in Gaudiya Vaishnavism, standing up like a lone person, really, against all types of hypocrisy, particularly in the name of Gaudiya Vaishnavism and religion in general. He roared like a lion, and many people did not like to hear that roaring. And they ran in other directions, or they came and threw stones at him. Literally, his party was attacked. Puri Goswami Maharaj was one who sustained the injury, the stone on the head and blood, uh, in defense of Guru Maharaj, Bhakti Siddhanta Saraswati Thakur. In Nadia, Nabhadip Tham, the abode of Chaitanya Mahaprabhu, the party was stoned. In Vrindavan as well, when I used to go and distribute books on behalf of my Guru Maharaj, as some of you may know, I was uh, famous for that, then there was often opposition. And the opposition was so strong that some of my godbrothers and godsisters could not tolerate the opposition that was the result of that kind of propaganda. And they complained to our Gurudev that he's going out, he may be selling the books, that's pleasing you, but people are complaining also. Of course, I wasn't the only one. There was an army of us doing that. And in retrospect, it could have been done better, I think. But then again, maybe not. We were young and we did what we could. <laughs> we had some feeling. We wanted to please Prabhupada. And he wanted to have his books distributed. So somehow or other, with whatever sense we had about it, we went out and tried to do it. And we were successful to some extent. But as I say, there was opposition. Sometimes articles would come in the paper and so forth. And, and even my godbrothers and godsisters, some of them could not tolerate the opposition. When they approached our Guru Maharaj and complained about me, <laughs> then he said, if there is no opposition, then there is no preaching going on. If people don't complain, then he's not doing anything. The fact they're complaining means he's disturbing the preachers are meant to disturb us, to shake us up a little bit, not just to pat us on the back with uh, poetic statements of high ideals that we can misinterpret and imagine we've entered into just because we've heard about it and thought about it. 
without taking the steps to understand the philosophy that underlies those poetic ideas, take the trouble, the difficulty, the sacrifice involved in realizing that. So the fact that he disturbed the public, Bhaktisiddhanta Saraswati Thakur, by his preaching and the Gaudiya Vaishnav public is uh, really to his, his credit. Many people were disturbed. Very forcefully he preached. So in a sense, when you hear like this, you get a little bit of a fearful image comes in your mind that I don't know if I could approach him. And sometimes, no doubt, even some of his disciples felt like that. But there was a charm to Bhaktisiddhanta Saraswati Thakur, a soft heart. It must have come from him. I heard our Guru Maharaj say it and Sridhar Maharaj also, that idea like hard as a thunderbolt, soft as a rose. Sometimes he would pound his fist like this on the desk while preaching to his disciples. And his face would become flushed, reddish. Sridhar Maharaj once said some of the God brothers, they thought, oh, Guru Dave's getting a little angry. Not good. Shouldn't get angry. But Sridhar said, at that time when I saw that face turn flush red, I thought, now I know the meaning of lotus face. <laughs> that face of anger at misconception, at the idea that people, souls of Kali Yuga, would get short-changed, get something short of the full bill that Chaitanya Mahaprabhu came to give, that uh, disposition that cannot tolerate that, and then goes out in such a way as Bhaktisiddhanta Saraswati Thakur did and his followers to preach, that outer expression of disdain for the world and worldly things and uh, opposition to hypocrisy corresponds with the softest inner heart. And Sridhar could understand. He said, now I understand the meaning of lotus face. He could see in the face of Saraswati Thakur his heart. Compassion for everyone, that they might not get cheated. Such a soft heart he had. And as I say, from no one more than Bhakti Pramod Puri Goswami Maharaj did I get a sense of the softness of Bhakti Siddhanta Saraswati Thakur. He had more close, intimate association with Prabhupada, Bhakti Siddhanta, then Sridhar Maharaj, then my Gurudev Prabhupada. Very close to him, he was, as we heard earlier, fond of music, and that, with his initiation, turned, of course, to fondness of Kirtan, was one of the principal Kirtaniers for Bhakti Siddhanta Saraswati Thakur. He became editor for more than one of the many publications of Gaudiamat, a very, very, very important service. And amidst, as I say, his services, he had a very dear personal relationship with Bhaktisiddhanta Saraswati Thakur. And some of the things he has written, a few things you may have read or they are available here of his personal accounts of his feelings for Bhaktisiddhanta Saraswati Thakur and some anecdotes from his life and association with him are some of the things that melted my heart and gave me a deep appreciation of the kindness and compassion, fatherliness, softness of Bhaktisiddhanta Saraswati Thakur. A sense of that I got from him more than anyone else whom I've had the fortune of associating with who had a direct connection with Bhaktisiddhanta Saraswati Thakur. We are really at a great loss and we don't realize it. But if we go on with this, in this particular lineage of what I 
like to call, uh, and others have called Gaudiya Saraswat Sampradaya, Bhaktivinod Podivar, the family of Bhaktivinod Thakur from Bhaktisiddhanta Saraswati Thakur, the Gaudiya conception coming down from Bhaktivinod to Bhaktisiddhanta Saraswati Thakur. We are all involved in this who have come here. The more we go on with this and the more we come to realize the significance of the innovations and the boldness and the kindness of Bhaktisiddhanta Saraswati Thakur who took the trouble to get up, you cannot imagine, to get up from his bhajan. That is not an easy thing. We have trouble getting up in the morning to do anything. Even our material duties, or to speak of our spiritual duties. But for one who is so absorbed in non-bhajan, as Bhaktisiddhanta Saraswati Thakur was, to get up from that, to leave that, to go out and take trouble, that is a troublous life. To sit and simply chant the holy name. If one has taste for that, as he did, but he got up and took the trouble. His sannyas, which was an outreach to the world, in that we can only be reminded of the sannyas of Chaitanya Mahaprabhu himself. Bhagavatam says, he had the company of Lakshmi Mahaprabhu. He was the beloved of everyone in Nadia. Everyone loved Chaitanya Mahaprabhu, except for the Vaishnavs. <laughs> they loved him, but they hated him before he became a Vaishnav. They were so disturbed by his reluctance to take up Vaishnavism, and he would argue with them and so forth. But when he began to manifest himself as Param Vaishnav, imagine the joy of all of those Dambasis, who were the inaugurators of the Sankirtan, who had been sent by Mahabharata himself, some of the Margadwaita, before him to pave the way. He left that situation. Imagine, everyone in the town loves you. The town is falling at your feet, materially, spiritually. He left that. To chase after us. This was his sannyas, Lila. If we take advantage of that, sannyas of Mahabharata, if we take advantage of that sannyas of Bhaktisiddhanta Saraswati Thakur and his disciples like Bhaktivinodpuri Goswami Maharaj, then we can know something about what is Gorlila without any Aishwarya, without sannyas. The sannyas is Aishwarya, but we should not neglect it. Via that we can have some access to Nimai Pandit in Srivasangam. And access to Nimai Pandit in Kirtan and Srivasangam, that gives us access to Vrindavan, worship Goranga in Srivasangam, to Kirtan, live in Vrindavan automatically. If we progress in this, as we progress in this, surely as we will, all of us, to our appreciation of what Bhaktisiddhanta Saraswati Thakur was about, what he meant to the world, the religious world, what he meant to Gaudiya Vaishnavism, what he means to Gaudiya Vaishnavism, then we will think back of all of those who had the direct association of him, his disciples, how we had the misfortune of not having their company. And Bhakti Pramod Puri Goswami Maharaj really is the last of the stalwart preachers, preacher disciples of Bhakti Siddhanta Saraswati Thakur. It is a great loss to the world. We cannot appreciate it. I was in Vrindavan. I first met Puri Goswami Maharaj in Navadweep at Sri Chaitanya Saraswati Math of Bhakti Raksaksiddhi Goswami Maharaj. He would come annually for the Vyasa Puja of Guru Maharaj. 
And he would sit on the veranda with Guru Maharaj Goswami Maharaj, and they would discuss. Then he would deliver a, a nice lecture in Bengali that I couldn't understand. Maybe I was there for two or three occasions of the Vyasa Puja, and Puri Goswami Maharaj came faithfully. But I never had the opportunity to speak with him or to understand much about the significance of his relationship with Sridhar Maharaj. Until some time later, I was in Vrindavan. Guru Maharaj, Sridhar Goswami Maharaj, had left the world, and I was in Vrindavan in Kartik. Maybe... 1991, I was fortunate anyway to be feeling some inadequacy. And as I was thinking like that, I made a prayer in Vrindavan. I could get good company. That day, someone came to me and told, Oh, Puri Goswami Maharaj is at Madhav Maharaj's Math on the Mathura Road. So I remembered all that Puri Maharaj of Kalna. Sridhar Maharaj used to refer to him affectionately like that. There are more than one Puri Maharaj. But anyway, Puri Maharaj of Kalna, Bhakti Pramod Puri Vasani Maharaj. So I went there. I went with my godbrother, Bhakti Gaurabha Narasimha Maharaj, Bhakti Bhavan Vishnu Maharaj. And there in a little room in Madhav Marsh, Madhav Marsh, of course, had passed from the world years back. Puri Goswami Maharaj had joined Madhav Maharaj and helped him in his mission, the editor, I believe, of their principal uh, publication, for many years. He had taken a charge of one temple in Kalna, wasn't it? And Madhav Marsh had written and requested his assistance in his mission, so he went and served his godbrother there and stayed many years in that mission. Anyway, there he was in one of the moths, the many moths of Madhav Maharaj, in a little room with the Mathura Road going right by and all the smoke of the rickshaws. Vrindavan these days is not as uh, materially pleasant as it was 25, 30 years ago when I first came. When I first came, we came to the train station in Mathura from Calcutta on the train to come to Vrindavan, and there were no motor rickshaws at that time. We had to take the tanga, the horse and buggy. It was very charming. But then, by this time, so many going by, and Puri Marsh was quite old, and I was thinking, goodness, that's such a, a better arrangement could have been made, I thought. And anyway, we came there, the three of us, and we introduced ourselves. I said, I'm disciple of... A.C. Bhaktivedanta Swami Prabhupada, huh? he was pretty much listening, and I took sannyas from him, and after his departure I got the company of Sridhar Maharaj. Actually, I mentioned the name Sridhar Maharaj, and he literally lit up. I was amazed. He said, oh, very, very well connected. And we were charmed. And he was, of course, not uh, there for entertaining us. He was absorbed in a particular prayer. Of Narutam Thakur. Goranga Bulite Hobe Bulakashari Hari Hari Bulite Nayane Bhavanya. Arokobinitai Chander Karanohive. Sangsara Vasanamor Kobitucha Hobe. This song about entering Vrindavan. There he was in Vrindavan. 
literally. And hearing him go over that song, he was more or less speaking to himself. He became a little bit oblivious to the fact that we were there, and he was absorbed in the song of Narottam Thakur. And I was thinking how much on the surface of Vrindavan I'm living, and how sincerely he is praying and thinking of this song that we have sung thousands of times, and trying to understand the deep meaning of it and actually enter into Vrindavan. So we came, we left, we came, and we brought some others with us. And um, I don't, at that time, recall any Western devotees there. I think that Purga Sangha must have had some Western disciples, but not very many at that time. Bodan Marsh, of course, was there taking care of Guru Maharaj, and we had his good company. And I believe it was the next year, again, Puri Maharaj came. Maybe he had come earlier years as well, I don't know. But again, he came. And that year, a young man who I knew from San Francisco that many of you know also came to Vrindavan and he was searching for a guru. He had been in ISKCON previously. So I was friendly with him and Sripadna Shingamarsh was more friendly with him even. And he approached me and he said, I, who do you think I should take initiation from? This Maharaj or that Maharaj? He mentioned two devotees, Acharjas from two different missions in India, Gaudiya Acharjas, both born in India and they were elderly respected, and they had been doing some preaching and touring. So I knew this young man well. I, I say young, he's younger than me. I guess he's not so young anymore, but I, I knew him well, and I, I said to him, let me think. And I thought at the time, I said, let me think, because I didn't think either one of the persons he was speaking of, for different reasons, would not be appropriate for him. The main reason being that he was thinking of it in more or less of a, well, these are the two that are out and about, and I I guess I should pick one, and which one do you think will be better? And it was also slightly in, in consideration of who he thought he was, what he thought he was about, and how that would be viewed and by others and so forth. And I thought, this is not appropriate. <laughs> to some extent, these thoughts are there. It should not be out of some formality, but out of love. It is said one must accept a guru. But the spirit of that is not like a law, but we must do it. I must put my head at his feet. All wealth will come to me by this. I must do it. So he didn't have that mentality, and I thought, these two are not really captivating him. So I went to my godfather, Narasimha Maharaj, and I said to him, Maharaj, he's going to come and he's going to ask you this question. What I feel is, take him to Puri Goswami Maharaj. And Maharaj, Narasimha Maharaj, he lit up, he said, yes, very good. Very good idea. So then that fellow came and asked Narasimha Maharaj, and Narasimha Maharaj recommended, so we took him there. One night, two nights, three nights. He was charmed. He wanted to be initiated. It was arranged. Then I took him there, personally, in the morning for initiation. He gave Puri Goswami Maharaj, gave Harinam, gave him the name Ramdas. All of you know him. <laughs> and then everything was finished. I said, Puri Maharaj, Mantra Diksha also. He looked, he said, both? I said, yes, yes. I knew him, I knew his history, and Sapuri Goswami then gave him second initiation also. So I feel happy to have been somewhat instrumental in helping Ramdas Baba to uh, make a, his uh, eternal connection with Puri Goswami Marsh. I think I did the right thing. What do you think? <laughs> so, and of course, we're here tonight in this facility to some extent on account of that, and the books of Puri Goswami Maharaj are being printed and so forth. 
by the seva attitude of primarily of Ramdas. And I had the good fortune of rendering some other service to Puri Goswami Marsh with regard to the book publishing as well. There was a friend of mine, a controversial uh, godbrother of mine, who helped me, uh, rendered some service to me in the publishing area. He was a Sanskritist. He had left my Guru Maharaj and gone to an opposing group at one point and got confused and so forth. But he approached me after many years and we established a friendship. And I think I helped him to appreciate Prabhupada and Bhaktisiddhanta Sarasthi Thakur much more. Anyway, I knew that Puri Goswami Marsh had many writings in Bengali for those years that he served Bhaktisiddhanta Sarasthi Thakur as editor and so forth. And if we could bring those out, that would be very good. So I, it took me some, with some trouble because of the controversial nature of this godbrother of mine to convince Ram Das, but I, finally I did that he should take him on as part of the staff of Mandala for doing the translation work, Sanskrit editing, and Bengali, of course, he's fluent in Bengali. So eventually uh, Ram Das agreed, and some of the wonderful books that are here tonight and available have been translated from Purgosamur's Bengali into very good English by Jagadananda Prabhu and are now available. So I was happy to have some be of some service in this way, a little bit indirectly, to Puri Goswami Maharaj's mission. And I repeatedly came, whenever he came to Vrindavan, in Kartik, to come, and the crowd started to get bigger and bigger. After Ramdas came, more and more devotees came, his canvassing and the canvassing of others, and got the shelter of Puri Goswami Maharaj. A temple, of course, was purchased in Vrindavan, Dauji Mandir, for Puri Goswami Maharaj, by Ramdas and others. And something in Puri was also started and in Mayapur and so I was coming yearly in Kartik to get the company of Puri Goswami Maharaj and one of the things that always struck me about him was how he would hold his hands above his head and look at all of the trembling in his age just the trouble that he would take and it was troublesome at that age to lift his hands that high that they would be quivering and discerning person could understand it's hard to do that even at that age this is how weak he was physically seeing him take the trouble to do that and other such things when i first came as i mentioned i first came and met him at madhav marsh's mat i would come also in the morning and in the evening when possible in the morning he would get up and he would go and he would take the trouble to circumambulate the temple and i was thinking at such an age he's taking the trouble and he needs to be Helped along, once he came to my godbrother Bhakti Lok Paramatwati Maharaj's mat in Vrindavan, we had to carry him in. And when he came in front of the door to the temple, he insisted on being set down so that he could actually get down on the ground and touch his head to the ground, paying obeisances to the deity. And when he came into the temple and saw his picture displayed prominently on the wall, next to Sridhar Maharaj and then other acharyas. He just saw the two, his picture and Sridhar Maharaj. He said, no, I cannot be there next to Sridhar Maharaj in that position. His Vaishnav humility, natural humility, and as I say, the trouble that he would take to do things like pay obeisances, just watching that was so poetic and so profound. We could understand that he had realized what Krishna is saying, Mam Namaskuru. Puri Goswami Maharaj appeared absolutely helpless in terms of his age and absolutely helpless in his 
terms of his crying out to Krishna and his dependence upon his Guru Maharaj, Bhaktisiddhanta Saraswati Thakur. Krishna says, Manmanabhavamad bhakto madhyajimam namaskuru. Think of, always think of me, Manmanabhavamad bhakto, be my devotee, madhyaji, for me, make sacrifice. If you can't do that, just make obeisances. It was as if Puri Goswami Maharaj had the confidence that just by doing this, making obeisance, Krishna would bless me. He believed it. He realized it. I watched him go through those basic rituals, putting on the tea lock every morning. The trial, and he would take from a little... And he wouldn't know I was sitting there. In those days, as I say, not many people were coming. Take from a little cloth, unravel it in a little box inside, and find some different dusts and put them together. And worshipping... I don't remember, you probably know, maybe where those dusts were from. Maybe from Pakistan, Sarsitakur, Samadhi, different holy places. Sprinkle that on his head and make the tea lock, chant the mantras, put on prom. And at that age, you think, why do you have to take the trouble to do that? Maybe he knew I was there. Now I'm thinking, maybe he knew. And he was telling, you should take the trouble to do these things. Actually, it's not a trouble. It's anukul. It's favorable. It's good for us. But he didn't only mark his body as a Vaishnav. He was a Vaishnav with such regard for those simple activities. And I had a penchant for liking to hear philosophical talks, deep philosophical talks with some uh, intelligent presentation as my leaning in nature. And certainly I got that from Sridhar Maharaj. I used to listen to Prabhupada's tapes. I had used to memorize his tapes and his speeches. And um, Sridhar Maharaj, of course, was a, such a profound and poetic speaker that our Prabhupada was even stunned to like to hear him speak. So when I was, as mentioned, thinking of a Siksha Guru, I was thinking of getting so much Siksha instructions, hearing so many things. <laughs> but when I went to see Puri Goswami Maharaj, his English was very limited. He spoke very little. And when there would be a Bengali translator as time went on, most of the translators at that time, they didn't really know Gaudiya Siddhanta very well. And I knew some Gaudiya Siddhanta. So I would hear Puri Goswami saying different things in Bengali, and I know some Bengali, and so many verses, and I would hear them, and I could put in together what he was saying, and I would hear the translation, and I would think they're not representing it very well. So it was a little bit of a frustration. I was thinking there's a mine here of wealth, of valuable jewels, it's, and it's, it's not coming out. But the fact of the matter is, I realized over time, it was coming out just through his personal character. The simple things that he did say in English, like I recall one time when he was asked something about Raghunuga Bhakti and attaining one Swarup and some higher talk like this, and he chuckled and said, one thing you should know is that without chanting the holy name offenselessly, there is no question of realizing one Siddhadeya and Raghumarg. Such a simple and so profound statement if anyone would listen to that, they would immediately be put on course. Yes, chant without offense. This is the real business at hand. And this is, of course, one of the emphases of Puri Goswami Maharaj in his teaching. Because, as you know, this is what Bhakti Siddhanta Sarasri Thakur was told by Gorka Shodas Babaji Maharaj. You will realize your swarup in the syllables of the Hare Krishna mantra. And there are so many references from the writings of Bhakti Vinod Thakur and others, we should concentrate on this. And I, as much as my Guru Maharaj Prabhupada used to beat us over the head with this 16 rounds you should chant, of course, and I always did that, but 
there was something about the way Puri Marsh talked about chanting, and not only that, but something about the way he chanted. If you would ever come in his company when he chanted Japa, I remember one of my godbrothers had lost his beads, his Japa Mala. So he brought a Japa Mala to Puri Goswami Marsh and asked him to chant on them for him. And Puri Marsh kindly did so. And he took the bead and immediately his head would go up. As if he was, there was an opening in the sky and he was looking through it and envisioning Krishna Leela and chanting Japa in a trance. Several times I was fortunate enough to watch him chant Japa. One time in Dauji Mandir in Vrindavan, I, after the darshan I came and I said, can I stay in a room with you and chant? He looked at me and laughed. He said, of course. <laughs> and everybody else went out. So I stayed over in the corner and I chanted Japa and I watched him. He chanted for some time. Then he got out a book. I appeared in Federica the Bengali Gopal Champu. He was reading and relishing, deeply absorbed in Krishna consciousness. And as I say, more by his just persona, he taught me so many things. After all, we can be deceived very easily by theoretical knowledge and its acquisition into thinking we've actually gone somewhere. Bhakti Pareshanu Bhavavirakti, he used to quote this so many times. One time we came and we inquired so many questions. We were pressing, myself and two or three other sannyasis, so many questions we were pressing. We pressed a little too much questioning. And at our expense, Puri Goswami Maharaj, after we left, instructed his disciple. I was honored when I heard about it to think that at my expense, Puri Goswami Maharaj would instruct his disciple. He said, they know how to ask questions, but they don't know how to get the answers. <laughs> what he meant, of course, was you can ask and you can ask and so many answers can be given and so forth. But if you want to really know what this is about, you have to practice. You have to practice. I read every book of my Guru Maharaj many, many, many times. Srimad Bhagavatam, 15 times. Bhagavad Gita, so many times. Chaitanya Charitamrita. So many times. All of the tapes I listened to over and over again. When I got the company of Sridhar Maharaj, I also got the tapes. I have about three, four hundred tapes of his lectures. I listened to every one of them. When I got the company of Sridhar Maharaj, then so many other books became known to me or available to me. I tried to collect every one of them and read every one of them. Madhya Madhikari wants to think about everything and understand it and reason about it very carefully and so forth. But there's a danger that too much trying to capture the whole thing in your head will be problematic. Because, after all, you have to understand the philosophy, the theology of Gaudiya Vaishnavism is really only an outline to the book of life, of love. It's just an outline. Well, you could take all of the books and all the speaking of all of the acharjas and it constitutes just an outline. In other words, going into the land of faith and coming back out to talk about that, we can only say so much about it. It's an experience that escapes explanation. If one is fortunate enough, they can realize this. And with the help of Puri Goswami Maharaj, I was fortunate enough to understand this. If you're not fortunate, you can become an atheist. You try to understand it all, and then you try to find arguments against the opposing philosophies and theologies and so forth, and you find there's some relativity, actually, to the philosophy or to the reality in terms of its being presented in a book or in, in words, that from which words return, mind returns, unable to capture, the Upanishads tell us. So Puri Goswami Maharaj was not 
at that time, for me, fluent with all types of discussions and so forth. But I knew my prayer was answered to get a good company in the form of a Siksha Guru. So I was not so foolish as to go away and think, well, he doesn't speak English. He, he, he only says these simple little things. <laughs> I thought that every little thing he says must be very important. And as I said, one of the things he used to say regularly was raising his hands with difficulty and trembling. All of you, Vaishnavas, universal Vaishnavas. And it always struck me how he would say that. I mean, we were Westerners, and in a sense, it's kind of an obvious point to us. We're Westerners. We think, yeah, Vaishnavism is for us also. But uh, everybody doesn't think like that. In India, of course, the whole remains of the Varnashram, the caste system and so forth, is very prevalent in person's psychology, much more so than ours. And so the idea of Westerners taking to Vaishnavism, are they qualified, and there will be some scrutiny of the habits and so forth, and uh, a lot of people have questions about it. So I was taking note always of how Purimarish always made this kind of prayer to the assembly, and this was largely Western persons coming. You're all Vaishnava, Vaishnava is universal. And something was just uh, striking me about that. Not only that he took the trouble, but what he was saying. I had the good fortune to put all that together last year in Vrindavan during the Gaur Purnima when I was there. I knew that my Guru Maharaj had written a letter to Purigoswami Maharaj in response to a letter from him many, many years ago. I didn't know the letter of Puri Maharaj other than kind of figuring out what it was about from Prabhupada's response. Prabhupada had written and said that if I give you money for your temple, then you may become contaminated because this money is coming from my Malacca disciples and that won't be good for you. But if you like, we can take over the management of the temple and ensure it's ongoing seva. It was a little bit harsh. So I was well aware of that letter and... Then I would see Puri Maharaj, all Vaishnavas going like this, and I was making some vague kind of connection between the two. What actually had happened was that Puri Goswami Maharaj had written to our Prabhupada. Prabhupada had great success in preaching, and he was concerned about some temple and that uh, the Seva Puja would continue on. Perhaps he didn't have much funding. I don't know exactly the situation. And so Prabhupada responded like this. Um, you know that Prabhupada sometimes uh, was uh, not happy with the fact that some of his godbrothers didn't fully cooperate or help him. He was like a very innocent uh, boy, in a sense. He came to America. He thought, gosh, I'm on another planet. If you see some of the letters he wrote back to Keshavji Gaudiamat and describing the... Here, he said, everybody has a car. And, and nobody has a driver. <laughs> they drive themselves. And it's, there's so much light at night that you'd think it was daytime. It's as if he went to another planet and he was describing, that's how he was viewing it. But he was thinking, I've come here and some people are coming and they're actually taking to this. And Prabhupada will be so pleased. Somehow it's happening. He thought this would be the joy of everyone. But not everyone took it like that. So that frustrated Prabhupada. It hurt Prabhupada, actually. It hurt him personally. And at a certain point, he turned then 
towards his young disciples and thought, I'll invest more time and energy in them than I will with my godbrothers if I expect to get help for spreading Bhaktisiddhanta Saraswati Thakur's mission. So sometimes uh, godbrothers, they have differences with one another. This is not hard to understand. <laughs> we all have godbrothers and godsisters, so we know that. And anyway, Prabhupada wrote that letter. It was a little bit harsh. But the background to that was revealed by Puri Goswami Maharaj. And the story goes something like this. What I'm going to tell you, I'm going to tell you a story, I'm going to, I'm going to tell you another story, and then I'm going to tell you what that means to me and to all of us. It means many things, but something, anyway, that I could gather from it. When Prabhupada, my Maharaj, was leaving the world in Vrindavan, some of his godbrothers, late in those months, towards the end of his manifest presence, some godbrothers came. Amongst them, Puri Goswami Maharaj had come. And... Prabhupada was talking with them, and, oh, I've made so many offenses. No, you have not made any offense. All done in the name of preaching, serving our Guru Maharaj. And I was actually there when, I believe it was this meeting, I was the only one I can recall took place, although I didn't know of Guru Maharaj personally at the time. And um, then there was some discussion in Bengali, which, of course, I didn't understand. But Puri Goswami Maharaj revealed what that discussion was about. Prabhupada, my Guru Maharaj, said to him, Puri Maharaj, do you remember when Guru Maharaj, Bhaktisiddhanta Saraswati Thakur, was leaving the world and he asked Sridhar Maharaj to sing Sri Rupa Manjari Pada, the song of Narutam Thakur? Puri Maharaj said, yes, of course. And do you remember at that time that Sridhar Maharaj began to sing and then Kunju Baba, Kunju Biharidas, who became Tirtha Maharaj, stopped him from singing and told you to sing? Because, as I mentioned earlier, Puri Goswami was, was famous kirtanir, he had a, a sweet voice. Sridhar Maharaj had more of a cracked voice. And so you began to sing. Yes. And then Guru Maharaj stopped you and said, I want to hear Sridhar Maharaj sing. This is, of course, a famous story. I'm, most of you have probably heard it. And Puri Maharaj said, yes, of course, I remember. Let me tell you something about that incident that strikes me. I knew that story. I heard that story, of course from Sridhar Maharaj, but I didn't know that it was Puri Maharaj who had been asked to sing in the place of Sridhar Maharaj and then asked to desist by Saraswati Thakur. But when I got the company of Puri Maharaj, I heard the story from Puri Maharaj, and it was him who Tirtha Maharaj had asked to sing, who had the sweet voice, who was Kirtanir and so forth. Now, when I first heard the story, I realized the glory of Sridhar Maharaj. Prabhupada, Bhaktisiddhanta Saraswati Thakur, wanted to hear his voice, wanted to hear his heart, his realization. He felt Sridhar Maharaj had deep realization about the significance of this song. And it was considered at the time that Prabhupada had opened the gates to the camp of Shirupa for Sridhar Maharaj to enter into. He said, actually I thought at the time I was being placed at the gate, and he said, I'm not letting just anybody in. Bhakti Rakak, his name was, means protector of bhakti. So it was considered that an esoteric uh, spiritual transmission took place from Bhakti Siddhanta Saraswati Thakur to Shiradev Goswami Maharaj. And whoever that other fellow was, who had the sweet voice, was asked to stop singing. When I first heard the story, I, I of course, didn't think much about him. That was incidental. But when I heard the story from Puri Goswami Maharaj, who was glorifying Sridhar Maharaj, when he told the story, I could realize his glory. That not an ounce of 
envy. From that day on, he accepted Sridhar Maharaj's Siksha Guru. It was that kind of thing that caused Puri Goswami Maharaj to glow when he heard the name of Sridhar Maharaj. Oh, Sridhar Maharaj. Huh. Bhakti Siddhanta Sarasitaka Prabhupada Sridhar Maharaj won. No difference. No difference. He would say. I told him, he said, oh, well connected to me. Another occasion I met him actually also at, he was staying for the afternoon at Bhakti Lok Paramahiti Maharaj's Math. I went into his room privately. I said, I got the sannyas mantra from my Guru Maharaj on paper. Prabhupada would give it on a piece of paper. He didn't speak it. Bhakti Sarasitaka also gave to some of his disciples on paper and didn't speak it. Later I heard it from Sridhar Maharaj. And Sridhar Maharaj gave it a little differently with another word in it. So I approached Puri Goswami Maharaj. I said, I got this sannyas mantra from my Guru Maharaj. Then from Sridhar Maharaj. And he said again, oh, you're well connected. Then I explained, but Sridhar Maharaj gave me like this. And Prabhupada gave like that. And he said, ah, he said, thought about it. He said something. And I said, so, I thought I'd hear it from you also. <laughs> so then he also said, he gave. So Puri Goswami Maharaj, when he told the story, glorifying Sridhar Maharaj, how Prabhupada had showed special consideration for him and his realization. At that time, naturally, my heart went to Puri Goswami Maharaj, thinking, what a glorious devotee, disciple, could think like that. He had absolutely no envy whatsoever. Whatever Prabhupada wanted, I mean, I knew, I've seen, <laughs> let's say, disciples who were not so pleased to be dismissed by their Gurudev or I know that when a fellow was chanting once in Vrindavan and Krishna Balaram Mandir with the microphone and Prabhupada said, who is that Rakshasha chanting? <laughs> Stop him immediately. And he wasn't very pleased to, to hear that. But anyway, Puri Goswami Maharaj, the way he took that, the way he, the way he reacted to that is so extraordinary, so wonderful that uh, you can understand oh, he is a great Mahabhagwati himself. After the disappearance of Sridhar Maharaj, some disciples of Sridhar Maharaj when it took sannyas from Puri Goswami Maharaj. And maybe some who had taken Harinam from Sridhar Maharaj but hadn't gotten second initiation took second initiation from Puri Goswami Maharaj. And between the moth successor of Sridhar Maharaj's group and Puri Goswami Maharaj's moth, then there were some discussions, some arguments and so forth. And after all, the successor of Sridhar Maharaj was trying to shore up the group and some people didn't like him that much so they were leaving. And those were difficult times, so it's understandable Sometimes uh, things would be said, and one thing that was said was by one of the brahmacharis at the Moth, Chaitanya Saraswath Moth, who was a Western disciple of Sridhar Maharaj, in order to, again, like shore up the troops and keep them on that side of the Ganga, he said, Sridhar Maharaj said that Puri Goswami Maharaj was Kanishta Adhikari. I know the story. I think I was there at the time. Sridhar Maharaj was analyzing the different Adhikar, the symptoms, and he said, Swami Maharaj, Prabhupada, my Guru Maharaj, he said, Paramhamsa, preaching all over the world in an innovative way. Then he said, Puri Goswami Maharaj, Kunishtarikari. Puri Goswami Maharaj, why? He was uh, much in charge of the puja, Seva Puja, the deity worship. In fact, I think he was the principal disciple of Bhakti Siddhanta Sarasitaka involved in the installation of practically all of the deities in Gaudiamat. So, according to Bhagwat, if you study Bhagwat, the 11th canto, then this description of different adhikars given and so forth, he was giving example. More, what he was really pointing out was the puja, seva puja, this is Kanishta adhikari, and this kind of preaching, madhya madhikari, and then the extraordinary work of 
seeing Krishna and everyone and everything as Prabhupada was doing by his expansive, innovative preaching, Paramahams and so forth. He didn't really mean to be critical of anybody. That wasn't the idea. So some foolish disciple collected this up and used this to fuel his attempts to keep members of the moth in the particular moth and so forth. Puri Goswami Maharaj, Kunishtadi Kari. So that, of course, it came to Puri Goswami Maharaj. I think it was Bodhaya Maharaj himself who said, it's come to this. They are saying that Sridhar Maharaj has said you are Kanishtadi Kari. And Puri Goswami Maharaj said, Sridhar Maharaj has said? He has given me some Adhikar? <laughs> oh. We could immediately understand he is Uttam Adhikari. To react like that, to react like that, he is the highest devotee. So, to react as he did to Guru Maharaj, Bhaktisiddhanta saying, don't, we don't want to hear you chant, I want to hear Sridhar Maharaj chant. Again, instance. Now this instance I'm telling you about brings the whole thing home once and for all. Prabhupada said to him, they were in the room, Prabhupada was about to pass from the world, maybe he would pass one month later. Do you remember when Guru Maharaj wanted to hear Sridhar Maharaj sing and Sridhar Maharaj was stopped and you were asked to sing by Tirtha Maharaj? Then Prabhupada stopped you from singing Sri Rupamandri Pada and asked Sridhar Maharaj to sing? Yes, I remember, Puri Goswami Maharaj replied. And then Prabhupada said, well, I have a favor to ask you. Yes? He said, would you sing that song for me? So touching. And Puri Goswami says, yes, surely. I. And then the discussion went on. And, and of course it was in the context of when I'm leaving. And he was leaving, but we couldn't accept it at the time. <laughs> at least I couldn't. I couldn't even imagine it. I couldn't conceive of it that he would be, be leaving. I don't know, I was not very realistic, I guess. Maybe I was, in the sense that uh, the great souls never really leave us. They leave us to bring us closer to them, actually, as a great kindness on their part to leave us and allow us to contact them through our remembrance of them in bhajan, in their eternal swarup, and meet with them in the land of no return. So Puri Goswami said, yes, certainly. And then the talk went on, and Prabhupada said, I want to give you a gift. No, no, you don't have to give me any gift. That's okay. No, I want to give you a gift. Is that right? Yes, if you want, you can. All right, you can give. And the talk continued and so forth. Then it stopped. And then Prabhupada said, Sweetie, please take prasad. And so everyone left and Prabhupada's disciples served some prasad to the esteemed Vaishnavs, godbrothers of Prabhupada. And Puri Goswami Marsh left. And then he said, in relating this, and this was... I heard this story recently. I didn't hear it from Puri Goswami Maharaj, but I heard it from my godbrother, Paramadriti Maharaj. Puri Goswami Maharaj said, I left and I thought, Swami Maharaj wanted to give me a gift, but he didn't give me a gift. He forgot. Oh, well, anyway. And then he said, uh, after a little while, I realized, oh, I got the gift. Because in my heart came a sense of the universality of Vaishnavism like I had never had before. And I realized the gift that he gave me was having me take prashad. Ordinarily, we ask everyone to take prashad. It's not considered a gift. But when I took that prashad, the magic of that prashad manifested in my heart and a sense of the universality of Vaishnavism awakened in me like never before. Previously, he went on to relate, Swami Maharaj had come to India with some of his disciples and some of us came to greet him. And he 
showed these disciples to us. And then after we discussed, he asked us to take prasadam. But at that time, we refused to take prasadam because we thought maybe we'll get contaminated. After all, these people are from Western background and they've just come here. And, and he said, and that hurt Swami Maharaj. He felt that we didn't fully accept his disciples into the fold of Bhaktisiddhanta Saraswati Thakur. And now you know a little bit of the background behind Prabhupada's writing that letter. If you take money from me and my mission, it may get contaminated. And in the end, this, oh, you're all Vaishnavas. Every time he held his hand like this, he's thinking of Swami Maharaj and the kind gift he got through that prasad and that sense of the universality of Vaishnavism. That was coming to his doorstep, to his lotus feet, and so many disciples he accepted, and so many of us who are not formerly his disciples are benefiting from his siksha now that's coming out in books and so forth. And in all of this, as I said, I wanted to mention one thing that I gathered from it, and it's along the lines of what I've been speaking about, how Purim Raj spoke to me just by his persona and by simple things that he said, more than long lectures and so forth, some of which, of course, are beautiful and are coming out now in English for the first time, and everyone should take advantage of them. But what it is, what I gathered was, he was always so willing to admit his shortcomings openly. He was like a confessional to the public of devotees. No one could do that, could speak like that, could feel like that, unless they had absolutely no shortcoming whatsoever. It was impossible. No one wants to be embarrassed or to have something found out about them that they did wrong or that they thought wrong, especially if they're a guru, <laughs> a teacher, a preacher. Hmm? You have to keep some image. At least you think you do. In our everyday life, we think like that. He had no thought like that. Actually, Sadhu Sangha is about this. Sadhu Sangha, Association of Saintly Persons, what it's about, it's about getting together and revealing your hearts. We should sit together at night with other Vaishnavas, chant the holy name of Krishna, and then go around in a circle and let everybody say, Today I failed in this way. My mind went there. My body went over here. I thought this. I did that. I strayed from the course of Guru Maharaj's instructions, of the teachings of Mahaprabhu. Let me say it in the public assembly, like they go the Alcoholics Anonymous and make their confessions. <laughs> and here the godbrother next and the godsister do this every night and you start walking the straight path. <laughs> Satam prasanga umavirasambhido. The glories of Krishna are sung in the company of Satam, the devotees. It means truthful, honest people. In Puri Goswami Maharaj we found an honest person. It seems so simple. We can talk about rag bhakti, so many high things we can talk, we can read so many books, we can say so many things about it. And we should say some things about it, it's what we are about also. But we cannot be honest persons even, how we will understand that. Such honesty, such simplicity, such personification of devotional qualities. He was willing in a public assembly to almost make a confessional of what he perceived to be his shortcomings. And I perceived that, and I think others as well, of course, that that was his uh, one of his virtues and glories. And this is the character of an Uttamadikari. So we should try to learn something from the person of Puri Goswami Maharaj. Try to hear from others who know something about him, about his godbrothers, about the saints in our line. 
And this will help us to improve our lives incrementally. Puri Goswami Maharaj's example to me stressed practice. And we cannot stress this enough. Theory and the gathering of the theory is only as valuable to us as it translates out into our practical life in terms of practice. That will change our heart. That will bring us realization. So to me, Puri Goswami Maharaj was the personification of the practice of devotional life, Krishnanushilanam. I saw it in him in everything he did, such regard for every aspect of the devotional culture. So I'm happy to have been able to share a little bit of my own feelings, sentiments, and insights, limited as they are, of Puri Goswami Maharaj on this day. Does anyone have any question or anything they'd like to add? Mm-hmm. But it's not on this teacher because I'm very new to this. Me too, but go ahead. <laughs> um, if um, my question is going to indicate just how new I am to this, if one is blessed enough to have had that experience where the skies opened up and they were able to see beyond this particular dimension into the next, the next reality, and then the sky closed down again. What do we have to do so that when next it opens up again by Krishna's grace, it stays open? <laughs> yeah, well, there's a, it, it takes time. So, well, relative to the discussion tonight, there's many ways to answer your question. I would say what we have to do is keep good company. Keep the company of saintly persons. Our spiritual development is gradual, like cooking. Cooking is gradual. You have to start and after some time it's finished. But in cooking, if I come into the room and I say, where's the dinner? And you say, well, it's coming gradually, but you don't have it on the stove yet, then I have some justification for complaining, but it's not even cooking. (laughs) So for it to cook gradually, the fire has to be underneath it. So for our life to mature spiritually, so that the clouds of illusion are once and for all parted and the sun of Krishna shines through constantly. To reach that, it's, it takes time, it's gradual, but if we are to go in a gradual way and cook, so to speak, to maturity, so that we are an offerable entity to that higher domain, so that we become like sun, so that we can enter the sun, then we have to stay in the fire of good company. So those who are advanced in spiritual practice, we have to keep their association. They are like the fire that will cook us gradually. That will make us honest, keep us honest. And that will, more than anything else, impel us and drive us in the direction of our spiritual prospect. You see, saintly persons are really like our very own prospect in life coming before us. What is our potential? personified before they are our very heart in its pure condition manifesting before us though they are not alien or distant separate from us so we should try to keep their company and by their company then our heart will come out and be freed from all the things that are causing it to be atrophied at, at present sadhu sangha or association with saints that is a exercise for the heart now it's like frozen it needs to be melted like water what you can do with ice Not very much. You can cool water. If you turn ice into water, you can do so many things. So our life is like ice. It has to be 
transformed into the water of spirituality, and then what, what our prospect is, we cannot imagine. But we can get some glimpse of that by good company. And if we want to sustain that vision, then keep a sustained connection and association with saintly persons. That is the best thing that you can do. In time, of course, by that association, then the practices that they themselves are involved in that cause them to be saintly persons, they will come to be part of our life as well in a real, meaningful, and, and a deep way. And, and we'll be carried by that to some extent, and we'll be good association for others. So what I want to say by that is that this is not only about associating with saintly persons, but it's about becoming a saintly person also. So you have to associate with saintly persons with that in mind. Not that just you're going to ride along, be carried along. And that's why they leave. That's why they leave from our vision. So that, oh, now you have to stand on your own feet. Then you have to see how much you took advantage of what you learned. And if we associated in the proper way with the teaching and the good company and aspired for that ideal, then in their departure that will give us greater impetus to join with in eternity. So try to associate with saints with the idea of becoming one. I remember once, a long time ago, I stood before the Prabhupada's deities in Los Angeles and I was chanting Japa. And um, a voice came to me and said, I was thinking, I just want to serve pure devotees. And it said, you have to be a pure devotee too. Don't forget that. <laughs> I looked around. <laughs> you too. I realized, well, yeah, this, this is a, a tall order. But in the company of saintly persons, you see, we'll be encouraged. Two things we'll experience. One, gosh, I am nowhere. <laughs> but two, gosh, what I could be. Because our conditioning becomes apparent and our prospect becomes apparent. We feel we could do something wonderful. And we also feel our conditioning. Those two things. First, we feel our conditioning. Oh, goodness, that's healthy, you see. We should feel that. Hmm. And know that by tending to that, dealing with that, oh, we can do something wonderful. Anything else? Bhakti Pramod Puri Goswami Maharaj Jai. Tirubhav Mahamahotsvatiti Bhakti Pramod Puri Goswami Maharaj Ki Jai. Gaur Bhakta Vrinda Ki Jai. Pramanandi. So.